0: All right, well, uh, we'll kick off today, you know, and we're getting into Jonah chapter three today, and I'm going to read the text. Um, I say that, I don't actually have the Bible out in front of me with, with this, so I'm going to talk as I'm looking up the book of Jonah real fast, uh, but if you were here last week, we talked about whether or not Jonah was a true story or not, and um, and so whenever Whenever we talked through that text, one thing we talked about was how to apply a framework to discern what is true and what is not true. Make sure i 've got the right page one one nine three what was true and what was not true and so we used we used a, a a bit of a the Wesleyan distinctive framework to to pretty much come to the conclusion that i 'm making the case that I actually think that the story of Jonah really happened and so But before that, the lesson before is probably the story I really want to talk about to make sure we're all aware of, Uh, and that is we talked about the the story of Jonah being told in a bit of a satirical tone, and it was told in that satirical tone to really make sure that the point God was trying to prove that he got across pretty 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 bluntly, and that was hey Israel, you need to repent, right. I've been sending you prophet after prophet after prophet and they've been faithful and you are my people and you are not repenting. Uh, but by the way, I'm going to send a prophet who doesn't want to go up to a land of the people you hate the most and they're going to listen to me. Israel, listen, right? You need to repent. And, and God, God's given that message for good reason. So today I want to read the text, all of chapter 3 real fast. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what happened And then what that means for us in terms of how we are called to go and share the word. Uh, Because you're going to find in this that Jonah is not the best example of how to be an evangelist uh, here in the story. But we're going to learn a little bit from this. So let me read Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat in ashes, which was a normal custom at the time, whenever you were grieving. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God." Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So I, th- I, I, I personally think this is absolutely fascinating. So because here, here's what, what has really happened in this story. You've got a well-known prophet of Israel who everybody knows. He's gone to the best prophet school. He's come from a good family. He's got the pedigree. God tells him to go do something. He doesn't want to do it, so he flees. God says, that's fine. I'm going to bring a big storm. And he goes, well, I still don't want to do it, so I'm going to jump off this boat to save those guys, but I still don't want to do this, and so I'm just going to die. The guy goes, no, 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 it's not that easy. I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to send a big fish. This big fish is going to take you, take you on to the land. And he goes, and I'm going to tell you again, you need to go to Nineveh and tell these people. And Jonah's like, no, I don't, I, he really doesn't want to do that. He hates these people that much. He doesn't want to do it. And so, uh, but it's the second time. He knows what happened the first time. He's repented. And he goes, all right, God, I'll do what you tell me to do, but I don't want to do it. But he goes, he goes into Nineveh. He gives them the message that God tells them to give him. He doesn't seem to do it in any type of illustrious style. He doesn't seem to be very motivating. It says he walks into the city and kind of preaches a very, very short sermon. No telling how many people he told, but it doesn't seem like he actually told a lot based on the context of this story. He does the bare minimum, that's what it really seems like, to, to appease what God has asked him to do. And he does this to the most evil people in the history of the world. I mean, there's no one up to this point in time in history that have done more horrific things in world civilization than these guys had, right? And so all this happens, and so you think to yourself, it's like, this is like the worst evangelist in the world, I mean, he's, he's awful, because you've got all these other prophets in the Old Testament who do nothing but be faithful to God. You know, going and telling people God's word, suffering for it, persevering, being persistent, spending years, decades in the faithful service of God just to be, you know, beaten and, and being, you know, hungry and cold and all this. And so Jonah goes, out to Nineveh, he preaches this, and what happens? Yeah, what's, what's the end result here? In droves they repent. Like, I mean, it's just, like, and there's no telling how many thousands of people this is. But, like, the worst people in the world repent. They, the king of Nineveh tells everyone to stop. And it's like all these, you know, these Israelites that I've been, you know, just pounding on for years. I'm saying, no, 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 their God is the real God. No one's allowed to do anything but worship this God from here on out. They actually repent it. It's the best thing that's ever happened. There's been no more productive sermon in the world than this sermon from Jonah. This is a sermon, and so we we go. Okay, what can we learn from Jonah? Well, was it his strategy? Was it his tactic? Was it his style? Did his hair look really good? Right. There's a current generation of pastors that think if they wear really expensive sneakers, people will listen to them. His sneakers probably weren't very good either. Right. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that you could try to say. Well, what was his what was what was the secret sauce here? Like, what made this work the way it did? What's the answer? What's the secret sauce? god right if you get nothing out of this lesson today you got to know this god is the power behind everything right he is the power right so we're going to talk about evangelism today but the most important thing you have to know is that no matter what we do no matter what we do we are but a resource in the grand scheme of things god is the one at work he is the one that will move the hearts of people. He is the one that will drive. He, he is the one. Like the best, the best illustration I can think of for this is if you think about how to sail a boat, right? And you're going from one end of the pond to the, or one end of the lake to the other, right? And you're sailing the boat, right? The one thing you can do to sail that boat is what? What's the one thing you have control over? You can raise the sail, Right? if there's no wind, is your boat going to go anywhere? Absolutely not, right? God is the wind. He is the driving force, right? He is the one that is blowing, right? All we're being asked to do is raise the sails. So what we're going to talk about today is just tactics about how to best raise the sails. That's going to be our discussion today, but you need to understand that God is the wind, right? He is the force behind it. That's the most important thing for today. We, uh, we, we hear this, this idea echoed in 1 Corinthians, and, and it's going to be a theme I'm going to keep going all throughout. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11 says this. Paul's telling the church. He goes, I planted, Apollos watered. Apollos is another you know, uh, preacher at the time. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are all we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about... so. Understanding that concept, does that concept make sense overall? Uh, We're called to water, we're called to plant seeds, we're called to harvest, but God is the one supplying the growth, just like he's the one supplying the wind. It's a theme we need to keep through. I want to talk about a problem statement to get this going in modern day Christianity, in our culture today. and Because I really think, if I think about it today, a lot of you all are coming from different backgrounds, But for the most part, we've all come up through, particularly maybe this region of the world. Uh, We've all grown up in America for the most part. I don't know if anyone anyone here grew up outside of America, uh, which means we've also all grown up in a majority Christian culture here in our country. Uh, And a lot of the, for those of you who've been in church for a long time or been Christians for a long time, You've probably gone through evangelical training before. Some of you guys may have been part of the uh, evangelical explosion. Did anyone, or was that was that what it was called, the EE movement? Does anyone remember that? Uh, did anyone get trained as a kid to go knock on people's doors and ask them where, if they knew where they were going, whenever they were going to die? Did, I mean, like, there's been lots of different tactics. Um, a lot of people were around during the Billy Graham Crusades. Um, you think about all the big movements of an evangelical strategies you guys are all coming from it from different perspectives. The one perspective you all should hold though is that you've grown up in a culture, you've been in church in a culture that was majority Christian, right? And so the ideas come from a majority Christian culture. We are no longer in that culture, right? We're we're just not. Uh, It may feel like that here in Oklahoma City, but but by and large, we are not in a majority Christian culture. Uh, And what I mean by that is a larger percentage of people today, even in our community, either are upfront that they do not believe that God is God, that the Bible, the Christian God, is the true God. That that is that. So they're either upfront about that, or they quietly just don't believe it. Right? There's there's a majority of people going down that road. Uh, then there are people who may hold to what we all hold to here in this class, which is the God of the Bible is the God is God. Right? That this story is true. And so in this post-Christian world, this is a Tyler Tidwell quote, in the post-Christian world, the danger is no longer that that people deliberately turn from the truth and beauty, but rather they forget what it is because they know and seek only comfort and happiness. And and so I think about so much, a lot of the tactics we've learned have been kind of how to defend Christianity, right? How to defend some of the true statements but that was in a world where the majority of people believed it, and the people on the outside were kind of poking holes in it. We're now in a different, different, different deal. We're not worried as much about people going from truth out there. It's more people already assume that their way is true, right? We're having to come about the people we'll be engaging with um, in a different way, and so As I think about that, I've thought a lot about whether or not we need to be training our church, training our congregation, training ourselves, our pastors, in a little different mentality in terms of how to go engage the world outside. How to go, because we are all called to spread God's word. We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to go make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've all been baptized into the Great Commission. All of us have. If you follow Christ, you've been baptized into this mission, right? But what do we need to be changing our mentality of thoughts on on how we go about that? So I'm going to give you maybe a different way to think today. And um, I really hope nobody runs out of here screaming. So, I mean, that, that's my hope. That's my prayer. Uh, because especially after I get it, well, I'm getting ready to say. So, um, yeah, you may want to stop the recording. Yeah, I'm glad. So Tyler's joining right now. He's coming in. He's good. I'm glad Tyler's this because honestly, as he comes in, I don't know if he's hearing this yet or not, I saw him join Zoom. Tyler, I'm I'm getting ready to talk about you. This is if you don't like this today, it's all Tyler's fault. It's all Tyler's fault. <laughs> so Tyler and I were talking about this. We I, I just got done reading Brave New World for the first time. Has anyone read Brave New World before Huxley's book? Crazy book. Fun times. But it but it talks about a, this culture that has gone completely away from Christianity. A culture that was really the utopia was just seeking comfort and happiness and and when you take that all the way to the extreme it's a fascinating tale um, but anyway we were talking about that and talking about how many parallels there were and we were talking about what what it's going to take to engage a society that has really gone down that road and so the parallel that Tyler gave me that has been messing with my head ever since he said it was he goes well have you ever studied Mao Zedong's Communist Revolution? And I go, no, Tyler, I haven't ever studied uh, Mao Zedong's Communist Revolution and how he went about that. But it's actually fascinating. And so you heard it today. I'm gonna tie evangelism to the Communist Revolution and we're gonna talk through that just a little bit. And if if anybody sends an email to Marty saying Blake was advocating for communism at the Bible study, I'm telling you right now, that's not true. That is not true, right? I'm just waiting for, I'm waiting for the social media posts to start flying. But, but if you look at Mao's communist revolution, the dude was a genius, right? He was a genius. And he had a couple principles that he employed. And when you listen to the principles, it's going to sound a whole lot like the principles that have been given to the church. All right, so here's his principles. Clear and consistent ideology, where everyone involved can easily articulate what we believe. Well, that sounds kind of like what we do here, doesn't it? Clear and consistent ideology. Everyone who's involved can easily articulate what we believe. You know how the early church did this? They had this thing called the Apostles' Creed. They had the creeds, right? Not everyone could read in the early church, Right, but they could learn the creeds, right? They could they could articulate, they could recite, they could understand the foundational truths as they went through the creeds, right? So that was his first principle. The second principle was that the tactics had to be subversive, with a radically decentralized strategy that allows for flexibility at the lowest levels of execution. What does that sound like, right? When, when, when at any point in time has a has a large, um, you know. You know, authoritative church really ever worked out in history. The Catholic Church tried that for a long time and it didn't go so well. It led to the Protestant Revolution. But a radical decentralized strategy where there's flexibility at the lowest levels of execution. That's why we have local churches, right? So you think about Mao's principles, he's like, everybody has to know the ideology, not just what we believe, but how we tactically go about it, right? And it has to be radically decentralized. And, and whenever he talked about how, they, how we actually went about the communist revolution is he, he trained them in a three-phase strategy. And so I'm just going to articulate this, and you're going to see where I'm going eventually here. But he trained them in a three-phase strategy. Phase one was when you are weak, but your enemy is strong. When you are weak, but your enemy is strong. Phase one, he would train them. He goes, don't go toe-to-toe, Right? Don't, don't put a lot of resources going toe-to-toe with a, with a powerful enemy. Do small things. These are, these are, this is like uh, dressing up like a civilian and blowing up a bridge, spreading propaganda, writing pamphlets, right? All these little things. This is a phase one strategy, right? You, you, you didn't go toe-to-toe. You did very, very subversive acts, right, as they were trying to win this war. Phase two was you're waxing, your enemy is waning. So you're starting to pick up momentum, right? So when you're starting to pick up momentum, this is the phase that required the most discernment. In some localities, right, different places they were, where they had gained relative uh, parity, you would escalate to more conventional military tactics. You would march, you would get larger forces, you would have coordinated attacks, right? But you also had to have the flexibility to quickly go back into phase one operations. And this may be different in different geographies, wherever the tactics determined it. So phase one and phase two, think very, very subversive, but picking up some momentum in phase two and doing some things that are a bit more coordinated. Phase three is when you are strong and your enemy is weak. And when you get to phase three, you start to do things that look official. You wear uniforms. You march in the streets you have tanks, you have parades, right, you build structures, you do these things to start to institutionalize the momentum that you've gained, right, you outlive, you know, you put things in place that will outlive the people who started in phase one and phase two, so you see what he would do is he would sit there and be like, there are different, based on where we've gained momentum, in some places we're going to be in phase three, In some places we'll be in phase two, and some places we're going to be in phase one. And I'm going to give authority to the people at the ground to make the decision on what phase is required based on where we are in our movement in those different areas. And and, and be able to go back and forth. But the principles are everybody needs to know what we believe. They need to understand the communist manifesto. And they had to understand how they actually went about it. They had to understand the three-phase insurgency strategy. Right? But do you see the subversive element of how the communists did this? And they won. Right Now, if you look at this, this three-phase insurgency strategy I just articulated that Mao used, this was not his idea. He was just one of the first people to really codify it properly. Uh, but people have been using this type of strategy from the beginning of time. If you look at, Tyler and I were talking about, if you look at what the Afghans have been doing for centuries, right? they've been using a three-phase strategy and beating every world power that comes out and gets them. Right? I mean... At guerrilla warfare. I mean, guerrilla warfare is phase one, right? Phase one strategy is guerrilla warfare. So you just think about this, though. Every major world power who's tried to go into Afghanistan and take over Afghanistan, what's happened to them? What happened to the British twice, right? Russians multiple times, Americans. I mean, everyone has gone in there and has really struggled in Afghanistan. They're committed to a long-term three-phase insurgency strategy. So, so all I'm saying is... There's, there's an interesting way as you looked at the communist revolution to say, well, there's some wisdom in the tactics. Now, real quick, is Blake Bassin a communist? No. All right. I just want to make sure this is clear. When you walk out of here today. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not taking a vote. Yeah. This is an authoritative classroom, not a democracy. But, but I'll say when you walk out of here today, I want you to remember God is in control and Blake is not a communist, all right? <laughs> G- yeah, yeah, well, we'll uh, it's, I can just, just imagine the elders coming up like, hey, Blake, uh, we need to talk. So anyway, so I say this. Let's go back to our problem statement, right? We now live in a post-Christian world. We live in a post-Christian world. Our society is post-Christian. When you think about the phase one, two, and three what strategies do you think, or what phase do you think the strategies you've learned about how to share the word, how to evangelize, which phase do you think those have been? Does that make sense? Let me make sure I have a question. What you've grown up, what you've learned, have, your, have the strategies you've learned been phase one, phase two, or phase three? Three. Almost everything we've learned has been phase three. Almost everything I've learned has been phase three. Let me ask you, what do you think this is? Invite your friend to church today. What strategy is that? Phase one, two, or three? It's three. We're going to the big building we have put up, right? Institutionalized, right? Invite your friend to church today. That's what we've always trained people. Invite your friend to church, right? That, 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 that's phase three. My contention here is that we've got to get smart, right? We need to understand that phase three may work for some people that, that, that we're, we're called to share God's words with. Obviously, phase three is a required phase. That's Crossings Community Church. It's smack dab in the middle of phase three, and it needs to be. We need phase three strategies. But there's people who are going to be in your life who need to be in phase one and phase two, and then phase three. Does that make sense? All right. So I want you to think about this in terms of how the Bible actually says it, because the Bible talks about this whole idea of planting, watering, and harvesting. It falls into a very similar way of thinking. If you look at the handouts, I'm going to grab one real quick. Uh, If you look at the handout I gave you, and for any of you guys on Zoom who don't have this, I apologize, but it looks like this. It's just three phases. It's just planting, watering, and harvesting. I want you to see that what I've done is I've gone through and I've put these things in phases. And I've, I've put some of these tactics that tend to get used in each phase uh, of evangelism. And so phase one, if you look at this, and I, this wasn't all on me. I, I stole something from Tim Keller here, a few things from Tim Keller. Uh, but in phase one, the planting phase, there's a couple things we can do, right? Very, very simple things we can do. It, and, and this is phase one, this mean, somebody who you're pretty sure they, they're not a Christian. They're not anywhere close to God, but God has put them in your life. How do, how do I actually talk to them? So phase one, one simple strategy is you just let them know that you are a Christian. You find a good way to make sure they know that you are a Christian. There's all kinds of easy ways to do this. Uh, you can ask them about their beliefs and just listen, right? You don't need to argue. You don't need to win the debate with them on day one. You can play a bit of a long game, right? But you can just listen to them. Uh, you can you can ask you can befriend them, listen to their problems, and at the end, just say, "I know you may not believe, but do you mind if I pray for you right As easy as that it 's amazing how impactful that can be at times. and then lastly, you can actually share your problems with them and just help them understand how your faith has really helped you, right how it 's been there for you, how God was there for you in the midst of your pain right and, and you, you sit there and, and I think so often we get in a rush that as, as god 's put people in our life that we've got to take them from phase one to phase three all in one conversation, right? And that's just not going to be. And, and honestly, you don't have that kind of power. You, you just don't. That's too much pressure to upon yourself. And honestly, it's putting way too much power on your own shoulders and, and without God. Sometimes you may just be called to plant the seed. Somebody else may be the one who comes through in waters and harvest, right? But you're called to understand where it is you need to plant the seed. Phase two, right, whenever you see that maybe there's some interest, there's some desire, there's some questions coming, right? They're not going to church at all on Sundays, but, but they've been talking to you. They, they've opened up a little bit. They've shown some vulnerability. They're willing to listen to you, right? Do you have a book to recommend to them to read, right? Something really simple. Do you have your favorite book that was really meaningful to you, easy for them to read that you could give to them, and you guys could talk it through, right? Can you actually share your story, Right? Have you practiced your story? Can you share it? Help them understand why you believe what you believe. And then be there to very humbly and respectfully answer their questions. Deal with any objections they have. Just talk them through those things. Again, are, are you trying to get them into the church that Sunday? Well, not necessarily. That may not be what they need at that very point in time. To come into a room with a bunch of people worshiping, That may, they may not be there. Right? And then you go to phase three. Think about more traditional. Invite them to church. Offer to give them a Bible. Offer to read the Bible with them. You know, you guys know how to find Bible reading plans. Offer to get on a Bible reading plan. Read it with them. Meet with them. Take them to Alpha at Crossing. Some of you guys volunteer in Alpha. It's a perfect place to actually get them into our church with people who will love them and who will respectfully answer the questions that they have. Right? Pray with them. Don't neglect the actual word of God. Right? It is the word of God that will pierce our hearts. Right? But I just, I just want you to see how so often whenever I've been trained on how to share the word, I've been told one thing, like this is the one thing you need to do. And if, you think, if, if, if you're told this is the one thing you need to do, then you're not really thinking through the varying life circumstances and backgrounds and histories and hurts and baggages and hangups of all the different people that God may put in your path. There are some people who have been hurt by the church in an incredible way. They were once in phase three, right? They were themselves participants of phase three, and something so horrible has happened to them that the only thing you can do at that point in time is go back to phase one. And you've got to be willing to do that and play the long game. There are some people who you get to phase two, and they're like deer in the headlights and get spooked, and you've got to go back to phase one, right? And there are some people who you may just have to say, hey, come to church with me. Come to church with me this Sunday. I'll save you a seat. I'll even show up in the parking lot and help you get in because I know that place is really big, right? And I'll make sure you stay away from the ushers who could be problems, right? (laughs) So I just want you to think about these different things. Real quick, I want you guys to go to your groups, and I want you to talk about this a little bit. I want you to share an example with your groups of maybe just a specific circumstance where you practice phase one with somebody, right? What did a phase one story in your life look like? Maybe it was someone sharing with you. Maybe it was you sharing with someone else. And then also I'd like you, do you have any, any situations where you've tried to go straight to phase three with someone who wasn't ready? How did it go? All right, so just talk that through a little bit of your groups. Charlie, do you have something before we went to group discussion? And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, you'll, you'll get. I'll get that to our conclusion. But, but talk this through. I'll, I want you guys to remember, God is the power, right? So sometimes when we talk strategies and tactics, God is the power, but He does call us to lift the sails, right? He chooses to use us. So I want you to talk through tact, tactically. Where have you seen this? Talk through some examples. Just talk a little bit at your, at your groups. Any examples that may be helpful as you think through it in this framework? Go ahead, and we'll come back here in a few minutes. <laughs> All right, well, let's bring it back. And you guys can feel free to talk a little bit after class as well. Keep going through this. Um, here's what I want to do. I, I hope I hope you've had a good chance to just share a few stories. Uh, if anything, and, and just for reference, Wayne has to leave early. He's not leaving because I'm a communist. I promise. We've He talked to me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Say it enough, right? It was, on a quick aside, last night we're sitting down at dinner and uh, my, you know, I've got twins, twin 10-year-olds, boy and a girl, Samantha and Easton, and they're sitting there and they're talking about how they're going to spend their money on something. I can't remember what it was, but my wife looks at me and goes, guys, why do you combine your money? You know, why do you do that? And they go, well, because whenever we keep our money separate you know, then one of us has more than the other and it becomes a whole thing, so we just keep it together and then we, we make joint decisions. And I go, oh, my kids are communist. Um Anyway. Anyway. So maybe it's in the blood. Who knows? So... Yeah, yeah, my dad went on strike against the federal government, so maybe it's just, it's all in the DNA. So... It's a tw- yeah, it's a twin thing. So anyway, anyway, you guys be like, I don't know what Blake was teaching during this class, but uh, so anyway. So I hope you guys had some stories. Hope you heard. Just just some real life examples. Uh, behind every tactic, everything we're talking about, are real people, real souls, real eternities. And we've all been commanded to be a part of this. You've got to remember that. Uh, we were talking here on Zoom. You know, Some church traditions just don't teach evangelism. And Jesus is pretty clear. He calls us to go share the word. And so that's just part of what we have to do. And so you never know who God's going to put in your life. My big thing I want to make sure you get out of here today is that That when you hear it, you're going to naturally revert to probably the only option I have in my toolkit is to invite people to church. And in this world today, that may not be where you need to start with people. Okay? It may not be there. You may need to play a longer game. You may need to go all the way back to phase one of whoever's in your life. And that may call you serving them for a period of time it may be you listening to them it may be you just subtly helping them understand that you're part of a church right i mean it may be just posting in your neighborhood hoa facebook page you know that uh if anyone needs anything you know after an ice storm let you know or our church is doing this volunteer event or just something to let people know right what you believe you may have to go all the way back be willing to do that Here's the application I want today. I don't know if you guys heard a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, Andy Roshka was preaching, uh, and he, he asked everybody to pick two people. Pick two people to, to be thinking about that you feel like God's put on your heart to share God's word with, right, and be praying for them, right? And that was really good application because it's getting to the principle that God is the one with the power here, Right? The most important thing you can do is pray for those people. That is the biggest power source you have is to ask God to do something. right? So so that's going to be one thing I'd ask you to do is pick two people. Go back to Andy's application. Pick two people to be praying for. But I'm going to ask you all to go a step farther because you are all great brothers in Christ here. I want you to go a step farther. And as you think about those two, two people, I want you to pray for them. But I want you to put those two people into this framework. What phase is needed with those people, right? Are they phase one people? Are they phase two? Are they phase three? What phase is needed? And what do you think your next step is? And when are you going to do it? right? Who, how, when with those two people? Write it down. Think about it. Pray about it. Write it down. Commit to praying daily for those two people Ask God to reveal to you if it doesn't come to you. But who, how, when, right? Be very, very specific with yourself. Can you imagine what God would do or what all could occur if all every man in this room today raised the sails, right? How much wind could be captured if we all raised the sails? We're all called to do this. Let's be wise. Let's be shrewd. Let's do it, but let's understand he's the one with the power. Make sense? All right, I'm going to do this myself. I, I told the guys on Zoom, I hated evangelism. I'm a pastor. I, I, this is not my comfort zone. It, in, in no way, shape, or form is this my comfort zone. You want to talk about financial models? We can go all day long, right? But, well, but sharing God's word with people outside the church, not my comfort zone. I'm going to hold myself to the same thing I'm asking you guys to do, okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. For these men. I thank you for our great church. I ask that you would just be with us. May you give us wisdom. May you place on the hearts of every man in here the two people that we're asking about. May you help provide them the accountability to pray each night for them each day. And would you reveal to them what it is that that next step is that you need them to go do in their lives. What is it practically look like to raise the sail, counting on you to be the force that will move, counting on you to be the force that will grow that seed into a plant ready for harvest. Father, we trust in you. May the Holy Spirit guide us in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.